Kay, Kay, do you know what time it is? What time is it, Warren? It's time to thank our favorite people in the whole wide world. Is it time to thank our Patreon sponsors? It is! Yay! So, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Reagan and Jasmine Wu. And our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. This is King Caruso from the Black History Buff Podcast. And I know you're busy, but before you move on, I've got some questions for you. Do you know who the father of modern medicine is? Did you know that the most famous Russian writer of all time is black? Could you tell me the name of an Ethiopian samurai? Look, look, if you already know that black history is world history and can answer all of those questions, then please, just, just skip this message. If not, then hang on. In a world filled with false flags and fake news, the need for critical thinking has never been higher. And studying history helps us to understand today, avoid repeating the mistakes of the past, think critically and catch governments out in lies. It helps us to forecast the future and it also helps us to solidify our cultural identity. Those are some useful skills to build, right? Being able to see clearly through the noisy, information-based society of today has gone from being a desirable skill to being an essential one. Now, I know what you're thinking. That all sounds amazing, but let's be honest, who's got time to do all that research? And well, that's why you need the Black History Buff podcast. Each week, I bring you a savory slice of history that's gonna challenge, enrich, and entertain you. The show will make you think, help you learn something new about your history or the history of a friend or loved one, or at the very least, give you an interesting story to tell the in-laws when the conversation gets dry. So do yourself a favor and click the link or Google Black History Buff Podcast and please come check out the show. All right, you can get back to scrolling now. See you later. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren, I'm musically challenged, and Kay told me to get my screaming pillow because it's Black History Month, and that means white people suck. Well, uh, so, the, uh, you're not going to need it as much this year, because this year, um, because I kind of overdid it last year for myself, I'm... I'm making it a little bit easier on myself this year by um, focusing more just on musicals. A couple of plays are going to get sprinkled in, but it's mostly going to be 40s up to about the 80s, 90s. So, and we're not going to do three a week this year. I learned my lesson. Um, <laughs> but th this year, or this first episode, we are going to be going back in time to the 1700s so yes you will need your screaming pillow for part of this just and for for people tuning in for their first uh time on a black history month episode uh these episodes are not explicit like the rest of our episodes that means warren is not allowed to swear thus he needs the screaming pillow so that he can vent his frustration into this pillow this is the time of the year where Warren is less Warren. Yes, Warren is a little bit less Warren this year, but it's because when I was growing up, I did not get as much exposure into black theater history, and so we're rectifying that right now. I almost swore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't think to go look into... Uh, this particular person we're going to be covering today because it was it wasn't something that i thought about and we are going to be focusing more on classical music and opera which is not the main focus of our podcast 
but I feel that you can't talk about black contributions in theater without talking about this person. So um, we, and another, another little bit of backstory, we have talked about this person before, uh, but it was only for a Patreon bonus episode. And it was brief. And it was very brief. We did not go into detail about him, so this is the detail that I promised in the Patreon episode that is coming out now, because I needed time to try and parse out the language in the books that I was reading. <sighs> I'm starting to understand why you don't like French. So, <laughs> in today's episode, we're going to be covering a man who is considered the Black Mozart. His name is Joseph Bologna. Joey Bologna. <laughs> My man. So for this episode, I'm mostly pulling from Black Mozart from Walter E. Smith. Um, but I did have to go searching for sources to kind of corroborate with his sources in this book. Because some of it was very difficult for me to read. Which, it, it was just, it was the way it was written. The flowery language. I'm so technical with what i read <laughs> it's, it's it's um i mean it's just it's out of it's i don't want to yeah. say out of date but it's out of date like just the way that yeah, the language it's... is written just we've modernized the way that we communicate information and i mean this book was written in 2004 but just you're but... saying the way that it's written yeah the... the way it's written he wrote it very flowery and when i'm going for like a textbook i tend to want to i when i go into research mode i have to be in research mode and look at things written in a more scholarly fashion than in a prose fashion. You're looking for the nuts and bolts. Of yeah, it. this was very prose and very difficult to read. But um, this is going to be a shorter episode because this is going to just be a biography. We aren't really going to talk too much about the one opera that exists, and we'll get into uh, his operas in a bit. Um, just because we did cover that on a bonus episode, um, and yeah, I, I don't want to have us rehash the same things. Um, plus it, it would require going through notes and being Warren, you can't swear. <laughs> hey. <laughs> That's why I have this fantastic pillow that's clutched to my bosom. Yes, we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about the plot of Anonymous Lover and such, but this is more of just to get you introduced to this person, because his story is very fascinating, and Anonymous Lover is a teeny tiny part of who Joseph Bologna was. So to preface, there is not much known about Joseph Bologna, le Chevalier de Saint-Georges, saint George, goodness, uh, with his early life for many reasons. I understand why the English waged war against the French for <laughs> hundreds of years on and off. I would have too. Oh, there's oh, some... Oh, that makes sense. It's my English heritage. That's why I, I feel that English DNA firing up and going, The French! <laughs> so... Um, the main reason, and the most obvious reason that I am very distinctly familiar with in doing research into my own family history, is that Joseph's mother was a slave, owned by plantation owner Monsieur Joseph Bologna. So J Joseph Bologna is going to be named after his father. Um, the young Chevalier's date of birth is thrown into question, being sometime between 1738 and 1745, with December 23rd, 1745 being the most widely accepted date, until recently where the date's been changed to probably being somewhere in that 1739. Yes. I just realized he's a junior. He is a junior. He fall he, and his life gets kind of difficult towards yeah in, in parts but we'll get to that um there's also question regarding the actual name of his father with the book that i am referencing uh pulling from several different biographies with different names for the senior joseph bologna 
Um, well, I like I said, this was very difficult to follow, and it's even harder when you're trying to do a early biography on a black person prior to. 1865. Yeah, prior to when they were recognized <laughs> as human beings yeah, and, and even citizens. Then, and... Even then we weren't really. And this is going to get even more complex and I I had to stop somewhere with this because there will be some things that being black in Haiti is different from being black in America and there's a whole different dynamic there. Um... And especially at this time. And so I'm just going to touch on it very briefly because otherwise it would be like a, a really long episode and you would be screaming even more. We'll probably come back to it for once on this island, but that will be an episode oh. where you can swear because that was not written by black people or wasn't. <laughs> well, it's not included we, in Black History Month. It's not going to be included in our black theater history episodes um, just, I mean, it could be because the ones that we're doing next were not written by black people, but they're kind of tentpole plays. So we have to cover them <laughs> because for the era that they're in, they were groundbreaking. It's, I trust it's complicated. Judgment. It's complicated. So I trust your judgment and so do our wonderful listeners. I'm what I'm very glad. So, um, like I said, it's really hard to parse Joseph's early life. We we are pretty sure that he was born on a smaller plantation on the island Guadalupe, but at some point in his childhood, his father was given land by King Louis the Fourteenth of on the French side of San Domingo, which is now. Haiti is the French side, well, the formerly French side, and then the Dominican Republic, at the time known as Hispaniola, was the Spanish side. Not a fun fact, this is actually the oldest European settlement in the Central American area. We can argue about the uh, settlements in the north in 1066, but this is like the most... This, this is the one that Christopher Columbus founded, earliest known settlement. Um, Thanks, Chris. Yeah, and there was a caste system in Haiti of, of black slaves that were separated into who worked in the plantations, who worked in the house, much like here, but you also had free mulattoes and free blacks which is the Negro, due to the Negro Code of 1685. More on that in just a second. Yay. So, um, but because of that code, if a, a slave could become free, if she bore a white man's child and entered into a quote-unquote marriage with him, which was also a side effect of the less desirable white women being sent to Haiti from France, meaning there was a much more messed up reason for bringing black women as slaves and then giving them this carrot of freedom. I like carrots. Not this carrot, though. This carrot is rape, basically. I don't like that Yeah, carrot. yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you can either be considered, you can either deal with the stuff that I'm about to mention, or you can have this white man take you as a wife, regardless of how you feel about him, and... It's, it's really messed up. So I'm going to quote from the Black Mozart here regarding the slave code. So on the much larger island of San Domingo, St. Georges found a very different atmosphere. There were many more slaves. The slave masters there were more cruel. Slavery on this island in general was worse than in the American colonies. The French slave owners were brutal and inhumane. The slaves were housed like animals, worked harder than animals, and fed so little that they slowly starved to death. A Negro Code was passed in 1685, authorizing whipping. The code number of lashes was set at 39. Later, it was changed to 50. The colonists paid no attention to the code and often whipped the slaves to death. Animals were treated better and were fed to live a long life, but not the slaves. 
There was no end to the imagination of the slave traders and owners. Even the prisoners in French Guiana made famous by the story of Papillon were treated better. They could grow their own food, live separately, and had free time to do as they wished. The treatment of slaves was a perfect example of an economy based on slave labor. And they, there is some talk in this book about a term of home, a form of homicidal mania that uh, they talk about um, in another book that's referenced called The Black Jacobins that uh, they go on to state, a mistress would poison a rival to retain the valuable affections of her inconstant owner. A discarded mistress would poison master, wife, children, and slaves. A slave good. robbed of his... I mean, well, not good, but po- I, you could stop at the poison the master part. And, and it's going to get worse. This is why you get the screaming pillow at this point. Um... A slave, a slave robbed of his wife by one of his masters would poison him, and this was the most frequent causes of poisoning. If a master conceived a passion for a young slave, her mother would poison his wife with the idea of placing her daughter at the head of the household. The slaves would poison the younger children of the master in order to ensure the plantation succeeding to one's son. By this means, they prevented the plantation from being broken up and the gang dispersed. So basically a way to be like, our family will stay together and you can't sell my wife or take them with your brother. You have this, this, this weird, yeah, you have this weird convoluted assassinations of just, we're going to kill everybody that we need to, to ensure that our family gets to stay together and just mm-hmm. black, white, slave, whatever, just poison everybody. We're just going to just poison and, everybody. And this was the desperation that they yeah, like, had they, they, <laughs> on this island. And um, I will I, I will just sort of uh, end with who the most dreadful of all this cold-blooded murder was, of course, the jaw sickness, a disease which attacked children only in the first few days of their existence. Their jaws were closed to such an extent that it was impossible to open them and to get anything down, with the result that they died of hunger. It was not a natural disease and never attacked children delivered by white women. The Negro midwives would cause it, and it is believed that they performed some simple operation on newly born child which resulted in the jaw sickness. Whatever method of this disease caused the death of nearly one-third of children born on plantations. Because... Live free... Or die. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a little bit from the uh, from the book of that we did last last year, Rachel. That's the sort of stuff that they were doing to ensure that their kids wouldn't ever have to deal with what they went through. So that's how bad Haiti was. You kill your own children because you'd rather them be dead than mm-hmm. slaves. Than deal with what you've dealt with. So that is how bad Haiti is at this time because the French are being the absolute worst. And this was stuff that I was not taught. <laughs> and good lord. Good lord. So... Like I said, this is some of the brutality that the Chevalier would witness before his father moved him and his mother to Paris around 1749. So you can see he's like, oh crap, I've got to get my kid out of here. Because the Monsieur Chevalier did seem to actually love his wife, the black wife that he took and his son. It, it did seem that he cared about them. He So he he, he wasn't a piece of garbage he wasn't, like everybody else around him. He, he wasn't the piece of garbage we as far as we know cuz he's it's it's very <laughs> According to all accounts he's better. He's better. Yeah, he's he's not he is not the worst, but he definitely he's, isn't great for owning slaves. He's still a slave owner, but he, yeah. he cares about this slave and her child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he and he gets them out of Haiti, which probably is, is why the Chevalier is able to do what he's able to do. Because right. now you see what 
what happened there, and that's going to plant the seeds for the revolution in Haiti, which he is going to play a, not necessarily play a part in, but he is going to witness later in life. So, his documented history doesn't pick up in earnest until he was 13. Uh, when he was 13, he was sent to live at La, Bo La Boissière. Boissière? Goodness, French, man. A it's a boarding school for the boys of wealthy women. So his dad sent him to a boarding school, which at the time, that's what you do with your sons if you're well-to-do. You send them to a boarding school so that they learn everything. And then you see them only at Christmas. Exactly. And his time was spent studying, mastering the arts, science, literature. But while other boys spent the rest of his days partying, he studied the blade. Heck yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, it was a meme joke. It was a dumb meme joke. It is? Oh, I'm not familiar with while it. While you were busy partying, I was studying the blade didn't know that it's it's i won't do the whole meme because it's not appropriate for <laughs> younger audiences <laughs> but um he he really was becoming a master fencer and by 15 he had outmatched all of the strongest fencers <gasps> he's a blade master yes by 17 he maxed out his agility stat, and by 19 he was multi-classed as a fighter and a rogue after maxing out strength, agility, and speed. I don't know how he broke the game, but he did. This man needs a heron-marked blade. He does. He does. He totally does. He even got the attention of the master fencer at the time uh, who was the boarding school was named for. So this is, again, from Black Mozart. St. Georget was endowed with extraordinary strengths, with extraordinary vigor. Lively, flexible, slender, he was astonishing by his alertness. No one ever in the art of fencing displayed more grace, more steadiness. He had a superb style. His hand held up to the highest, rendered him always the master of the weak side of his adversary. His left foot solidly planted, never wavered, and his right leg remained constantly perpendicular. This combination of skills provided him with that coolness which permitted him to raise himself up at the same time to recover immediately with the swiftness of a flash of lightning. He was admired particularly in his manner of shadow fencing. He was so sure of his skills that he instinctively touched on both sides and frankly while observing all the principles. His corte on the, rep on the weapons were especially astonishing. He was even more surprising when the sword engaged inside. He would find himself at a good reach and on guard for the first attack. He recommended not to shake or move, taking it upon himself to not make any false move before starting. If by chance he took the least time, the blow did not count. He executed the blow of corte sur le arme with such precision, touching and repassing his foil in his left hand with so much quickness that the defender would not have the time to meet the iron for the parry. One can imagine what a fencer with such speed can do, who can call his thrust beforehand or will from a far-reaching range, who always stood apart with one of the most imposing guards. If one wished to take his sword, one found nothing. His point had such lightness that one could not feel it, if, unfortunately, one wanted to, one wished to lose one's temper, he was stopped, thrust before his feet had touched the ground. Finally, one dared not attempt anything. The straight blows, the disagreements succeeded, one another, and overpowered you. And basically goes on to say, this man was tough. And because fencing wasn't enough, he also mastered horseback riding, riding some of the most temperamental horses bareback. He was a master ice skater using that agility from fencing. Then he took to running. Then he learned to shoot for fun and became one of the best marksmen of his time, which tracks. As you've heard me rant about a lot, there is an incredible pressure to be the best at everything to be taken seriously by white society. And here's mm -hmm. Joseph doing that same thing. He masters the violin in a short time under the tutelage of Jean-Marie Leclerc, which he's one of 
the greatest violin players at the time. When he left boarding school at 19, he got to experience some of his first documented racism. He decided he wanted to join the company of musketeers and was not allowed because, because he, was, he black. was black. Because he was not of didn't, a noble race. Didn't matter that he was the one of best. Incredibly skilled, incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter that he wanted to serve. Mm-hmm. It just, just didn't matter. He was black. And then here comes his next smack of reality. And this was with who he called his only true love. I did not see her name in this biography, but he was 20. She was 18 when they met. They had this deep love affair for several years that was doomed for the start because she was a white woman. And while he was a noble, he was still black. Her father and brothers were the ones to forcefully break them apart, and then they married her off. And he was never able to speak to her again. And after that, he never really recovered from the heartbreak, saying, I did have amorous or gallant adventures. It was, however, in the place of the home that I dreamed with the only woman that I've ever loved. I followed my destiny. If I flew from one woman to another, it was not my fault. And the the thing that they talk about is that he had so many women, like so many affairs, and each one he would devote everything to them. But it wasn't. It was sort of a, I can't love you as much as I loved her. And yeah, and it was it was very like women loved him. I mean, it sounds like he was yeah. a, a hunky, <laughs> yeah, fit, he was suave, intelligent person. Like, yeah, he was. He was the. I'm full in love package. with him. Just hearing about him. Yeah, he he was the complete packaging. We've even got a picture of him right there for you. Complete with they, fake powdered wig and all yep, that nonsense yep. and a fake birth fake beauty mark right on the oh, cheek because yeah. you always have to have that cheek mark it's like a cutie mark on ponies except cancer <laughs> and you don't get magic power <laughs> right i guess uh, uh okay his, not all beauty marks are his, cancer but you his, should probably get them checked his magic power was a lifetime of pain mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, it's, and I could go on about his history in general, but we are a History of Musical Theater podcast, and I've got to tie this back in somehow. So let's jump forward now to 1766, which is when he began to study under composer Francois-Joseph Gosset. He studied composition and honed his violin skill, presenting his first concertos in the winter of 1772 at the Concert des Amateurs. Amateurs, French. In June of 1773, he published six string quartets, making him and Gossec the first French musicians to do so. Prior to this time, this was the string quartets were mostly Austrian, uh, namely the first person to create a string quartet being Hayden. When Gossec was chosen to lead Concert Spirituel. He named the Chevalier to be the new conductor of the Concert Concert des Amateurs. Now, this was partly to rebuild the Concert Spirituel, which was more geared towards the privileged members of society, but Gossec had done so well with the Concert des Amateurs that he needed to be called in to save Spirituel. But he left Amateurs in good hands, and by 1775, the Chevalier had published opuses 2, 3, and 4, and 5, a series of violin concertos with the Concert des Amateurs. So he's conducting, he's playing, and composing, and doing it all while black in, Fran- in France, which is going to be really difficult soon. Spoiler alert, Haitian Revolution. Not that it wasn't already difficult, because he was being considered for the assistant director of the Royal Academy of Music, a.k.a. Ooh. Paris Opera. But let's uh, let this passage say what happens. <clears throat> Where'd it go? Ba, ba, ba. So, 
This caused a great protest from Mademoiselle Arnauld, the opera singer, Grimard, the exceptional dancer, Levasseur Rosalie, and other act actresses who signed a petition to the Queen, Marie Antoinette, in order to off with her head in order to represent to her majesty that their honor and privileges would not permit them to take orders from a mulatto saint george's request was rejected their honor indeed Rubelet said that when one thinks that Mademoiselles Rosalie, Arnauld, and Guinard, these three divinities of opera were also famous for their licentious lives and their corrupt souls it is suggested that by some by some that the irritation of this rejection had contributed to rendering the mulatto more to ideas of the revolution that began to slowly spring up. On the contrary, St. Georges was a democrat at heart, though reared as an aristocrat. A man of color, he had been born among the common people, and in sympathy he remained one of them. He went on to say, a young American, known as the Chevalier de St. St. Georges combines with the most gentle manners, with all skill in all physical exercises, and very great musical talent, but the artist nevertheless at once addressed a petition to the Queen. And basically, racism is why we didn't have we're not the gonna, Chevalier. We're not going to take any orders from him because he's black. Basically. And he does get the last laugh and gets to keep his head during the French Revolution, so. <laughs> yeah. Which... Good! I was, oh, I'm glad that he didn't mm -hmm. lose his head when heads were rolling. In fact, we'll get into it, but he actually took part in yes! the French Revolution. <laughs> and um, he, he ended up withdrawing his application for the opera to keep the queen from being embarrassed, but he did end up being one of the few musicians who was allowed to play for her when she moved to only having private parties with musicians instead of going to operas or whatever. It was, no, I just want them to come to me. And he was one of the few that was chosen. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to go too much into this because we're a musical theater podcast, but... While he technically survived the revolution, he did get majorly screwed over, and at the, the end of his life depressed me. Mm. But it it was more of, it wasn't the same depressed me that it could have been, but it definitely was one of those, like, I almost swore. Um, <laughs> it, it was one of those things where I was just like, y'all? Really? Really? <laughs> I, I was not happy. So... Let's let's look in happier times, though. We're going to talk about the Chevalier's operas. So beginning with Ernestine in 1777, the Chevalier wrote six operas. Unfortunately, five of them are lost, with two of the lost ones at least having notes or numbers from the opera surviving. Uh, the lost operas are Ernestine, which was not received well because it was his first, and the libretto was terrible, even if the music was brilliant. Uh, La Partie de Chasse, La Fille Garçon, uh, which was... La, La Partie de Chasse was 1778, La Fille Garçon was 1787, and is completely lost. Uh, Aline et Dupré, ou Le Marchand de Marons, uh, 1788, it was a children's opera that's completely lost. Uh, Guillaume tout court ou les amis du village, uh, 1790, also completely lost, and his last opera. One opera has survived, however, and that is one of my new favorite operas. In French, it's called La Mante Anomie. In English, it is The Anonymous Lover. L.A. Opera produced a socially distant distanced version in 2020 that was fantastic and i would love mm -hmm. to see them release it for purchase someday mm -hmm. this was his most popular opera with the second one being la partie des chasse okay so at least his most popular one survived yes his most popular one survived they made sure of it and i will say that the loss of operas that one could have been due to racism or it could have been due to we are missing so many operas from so many people because gotcha. so that period of time, if your only copy was in the opera house and the opera house catches fire. 
Or if your only copy is in the hands of a wealthy patron and yeah. they their head goes rolling and their place gets ransacked by mm-hmm. the revolution. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very difficult to know which reason it is for his operas going missing. <clears throat> I would just like to... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, you're fine. I would like to just take a moment just to briefly reference what we covered yes. in the I Anonymous. was hoping you would. Yes, because I, I've, I've... Ever since I was a little kid, I've had... Even though being tone-deaf and musically challenged, I've had a wide appreciation of different types of music. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I've always enjoyed classical music. And I would... Li- you know, I... Here and there, I would listen to Beethoven and Mozart and Bach and stuff like that, just mm-hmm. really enjoying these, these, the strings and just all this epic-sounding orchestral playing. Yeah. When we listened, when we watched The Anonymous Lover, mm-hmm. immediately I got chills listening to them playing Bologna's music. Mm-hmm. The ma- Like, Black Mozart does not do him justice. No, it does he not. was incredible. Incredible, incredible! Mm-hmm. Like I, I was so incredibly blown away by how good his music was. I was sitting here going, "This is some of the most amazing ambiance music I have ever heard." I could just have that playing in the house all the time because it sounds so good, mm-hmm. just amazing. Like I was, and it it sucks that art is intrinsically something that humans create you know mm-hmm. because we're just creative individuals and we want to share our creative thoughts and expressions everybody can benefit from art everybody yes. can benefit from art and just the the fact that we lose art because of things as petty as skin color and racism mm-hmm. that oh because you made this it's not as much of value mm-hmm. is ridiculous it is absolutely absurd yep and i it made me so frustrated that i've gone 30 plus years of my life not knowing that this man's amazing music existed Mm -hmm. and i'm just sitting here going in a different world i could have been listening to him growing up too yes and would have had a, a a you know, would have had a black classical musician that I could have referenced and been like, yeah, this Joseph Bologna is an amazing composer and amazing, yes. apparently amazing at everything. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to be amazing at everything to be taken seriously and with as white people. Well, and as we've seen, he even, he still wasn't taken seriously. No. Even as, even as accomplished and talented mm-hmm. and dedicated as he was, mm-hmm. it was still not good enough for the powers that be. Yeah. It, it, like he did get success, yeah, he did get but success. it would get taken away easily. But at the same time, it sounds like you know, in in I hate to say in a fair world, because in a fair world we wouldn't even be dealing with these issues. But in a fair mm-hmm. world, he would have echoed throughout yes. history for yes. centuries. Just absolutely, he would have. You know, he he might have set the bar mm-hmm. instead of Beethoven or Mozart or Bach. Like, mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Warren Rantover. <laughs> and his music, uh, his concertos are available on Spotify at least. So if, so teachers, that is available to you should you want to play his music for your students, especially during art time or reading time or things like that. Yes, classical music is excellent mm-hmm. during study periods. Mm-hmm. And his is perfect. His mm. is great. Oh, so good. Mm. Mm. Anyway, so... He's composing violin for Marie Antoinette. He's being all around amazing. And then his financial backer, the Duke of Orleans, dies. Via beheading? No, just dies. Uh, The Duchess is so despondent that she shutters the theater, leaving many unemployed, including one Chevalier de Saint-Georges. So, that leaves him free when he's approached to tour London for fencing, violin playing, and a little bit of abolition activism. Nice. Because when you're black in the world that's been colonized by Europe, your life becomes political. What does that sound like? Your existence is political. (laughs) Yep. But that's cool, though, that he was called to, hey, come to London and show racists that you're awesome. Yeah, and he ended up... uh, like, while he was in London, he does take part in a fencing duel, and the winner isn't 
clear. Like as as in like a duel for honor or like just, just a, a just practice. Just just sort of a practice okay. duel, a duel for honor. I wasn't honor. sure if it was like a, you stepped on my shoes, sir. No, no, it, w- it was an exhibition basically, because gotcha. gotcha. that was what he was he a, was fencing exhibition. A comparison of styles, as the Japanese yes. would put it. Yes, and <laughs> the winner is not clear. Either he actually lost fair and square, or. Because he's a gentleman, he let Mademoiselle Dion win. Ah, yeah. he was fencing against a well, Yes, but it's un- she yeah, it's could unclear. have won fair and square, too, because the Chevalier was getting close to his 40s at this time she could in have been, the 1700s. She very well could have been an accomplished fencer in her own right, yeah. and as a woman at that period, she yeah. would have been just as eager to be like, I mm-hmm. am of worth. I can do... Yeah, and he even would say, she won. <laughs> and But there's, you know, the French... There's French pride versus English pride. There's A little all bit of a gray of, area. Yeah, it's a gray area. Um, because of his age, I would say, too, that... Because he wasn't fencing as much at this time, and he's starting to slow down, which isn't going to help him in a minute, because, again... We're not quite to the revolution, but we're almost there. <laughs> um, but he he does, while he's in London, he's doing that fencing exhibition, he's doing violin, and then he works with an abolitionist group. And while he's working with this group, he gets attacked and robbed in what may have been an assassination oh. attempt to try and stop the ab- abolition of the slave trade from happening. However... He only suffered a few bruises and went on to play a small concert for his friends that same <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, man. Because they attacked the wrong person. <laughs> a funny thing happened on the way to the abolitionist play. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because you haven't seen that show yet. <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, we'll do it this year. So, he happens to be in London... During the fall of the Bastille, (laughs) which you'll remember happened during the plot of the Black Doctor from last year. Yeah. So, in 1790, after surviving meningitis, he joins the revolution while also still performing and is eventually made captain. Man. Yeah. Surviving meningitis at that time and then goes, Yes, however, that does come back to bite him later because he does have fevers and stuff for the rest of his life. Because meningitis affects the brain, doesn't it? Yes. Affects the nervous system in the brain? Yes, so it does, this is sort of like the, he's not long for this world after this point. Man. In 1792, he is promoted to colonel of a black regiment. Légion Nationale des Américains et du Midi. In his regiment was Thomas Alexandre Dumas, the hey. father of Count Monte Cristo and Three Musketeers Alexandre Dumas. Yes, kids who are listening to these episodes and these episodes only. These episodes only. Do not go past. Do not go. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If it says black theater history, you can listen. If it doesn't, don't listen. <laughs> Till you're 18, then you're an adult. Till you're 18. <laughs> we say naughty words. Alexandre Dumas was white passing, but he's still black. black. Yeah, he is black. He, yep. He, yes, and I, I claim, I claim him because he was amazing. He was such a good writer, but it, he, he was white passing, and at the time when you're white passing, you tend to not say you're black. When we cover showboat we'll talk about that i mean we talked about it a bit with the tragic mulatto trope but that's that's the historical basis for that trope when life is already hard Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't blame people for just trying to survive and get by you know it's just do you know how wild it was when i found out the creator of the crazy cat comics was black yeah i was like Wait, what? <laughs> Why didn't I know this? I could have been. Lo- I could. Ah! But again, Passing. at the time, he passed as Greek. Ah, so so no, this isn't melanin. It's yeah. a tan. And, I'm Mediterranean. And that's the thing is that at that time there was a lot of which spicy white can I go with? <laughs> 
So at the time, if you were brown, you were from India. If if you were trying to not be black. It's, it's, I, just, I could do a so... whole thing about that because yeah. there's so many film pioneers that you don't find out we're black until later. And then you're like, ah, ah, now I've got to do this research. And it makes, makes my life a little bit harder when I'm trying to compile a list of people to introduce folks to. <laughs> so I'm not going to get too much into uh, the Chevalier's history in the army. Since again, not the focus of the podcast, but he got screwed over. He ended up losing his rank and everything and getting very disillusioned. And yeah, and there's a whole thing about that. I highly recommend reading Black Mozart. Granted, it was a little hard to parse out what exactly led to it, but other than most likely racism. Um, but considering that we... Considering that we're still dealing with that now yeah, in the modern yeah. day. It's one of those, like, chances are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it gets really frustrating when it's when you want to be like, I don't want to say that everything is racism, but everything is racism. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, you know, it's, it's not to say that... It, it's one of those things that I feel as, as a people as a species we need to reconcile with this because like humans just need to reconcile with this to fully move forward because i i would say america needs to reconcile but europe also needs to reconcile everybody needs to reconcile with what we've all done to it's especially hard because we're still we're still othering each yeah. other all over the world. So it's mm-hmm. like, we, we have still not moved past mm-hmm. that, that tribalism. Yep. And it, it's one of those things that, uh, it, it, it's why I feel history class does need to be very honest with the history because it happened. It happens. You've got to, and, and once you've acknowledged it's happened, then you can start building trust and then you can start moving forward and you've got to though acknowledge the truth of what happened acknowledge that that thing happening like for example slavery is why slavery led to a bunch of other things such as jim crow such as poll taxes such as uh just segregation in general such and then even though that was passed, even though desegregation happened, that doesn't mean that it was followed through with. And then you have redlining and you have, it, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a building block pyramid of bad. <laughs> it's like throwing a smooth stone on a river and just watching it skip through the decades. Just... Yes. Yes, and so you've got to you've got to acknowledge the history that happened, acknowledge what it led to, and then find ways to fix it. But you can't do that without knowing what happened. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that uh, happened towards the end of Joseph Bologna's life. He ended up trying to return to Haiti post-Haitian Revolution. We'll most likely talk a lot more about Haiti's Revolution when we do Once on this Island, because you'll need that context when we cover that show. Mango? That's the one with the mangoes. (laughs) So, uh, basically, he leaves one revolution for another. And then, when he gets to Haiti... He realizes that the one last chance he had at reclaiming something for himself was gone. His father's plantation had long since gone into disrepair and then been burned down. So he had nothing left to his inheritance because of this. And again, previously, his money from the Duke of Orleans had dried up because the Duke of Orleans was dead. And he did not have the 
ability to make money from the king because that wasn't a thing in France anymore. And then the French Revolution with the garbage that happened to him when he was a colonel, he just doesn't have money. And even though he is respected on Haiti, he is still in the mulatto caste, which leads to some tension because for a time they're considered free but never white. And there's this whole thing we'll get into on Once on this Island regarding this and why <laughs> rightfully the other black people on Haiti would not trust him fully. So he returns to France super depressed. He ends up turning back to music one more time and forms another orchestra called Les Cercles de Harmonie, and he spends the rest of his life with music. Even though he's not a rich man anymore, at least he still has his the love that he can deal with while he starts having symptoms of a bladder <laughs> cancer that he ignores because... France in the also, 1700s. I think he's also depressed and like it, yeah, and he's depressed. He probably I think that probably he secretly wants to die and mm -hmm. he's just kind of he's doing what he knows he can do to pass the time until it's his time. Yep. And I'm just like, "Aga, oh I want to go back in time and give him a hug and go, oh, "I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, and and so by June 12th, 1799, according to one source, um, he succumbs to bladder cancer. Oh. Per one of the eulogies on his death, St. Georget felt the onset of a disease of the bladder and, given his usual negligence, paid it little attention. He even kept secret an ulcer, source of his illness. Gangrene set in, and he succumbed on June 12th, 1799. Another, and this is, when you heard me screaming and swearing at the French Revolution, this is why. Another another uh, eulogy has a different date, and some of the date issues comes from the blasted French Republican calendar, which made <laughs> all of this way more difficult than it had to be. <laughs> For some time, he had been tormented by a violent fever. His vigorous nature, nature had repeatedly fought off this cruel illness, but after a month of suffering, the end came on 2021 Prairial, Prairial, June 9th, in, <laughs> in the Gregorian calendar, at 5 o'clock in the evening. Sometime before the end, St. Georges stayed with a friend, Captain Duhamel, in the Rue Boucherat. His death was marked by the calm and wise of the wise and the dignity of the strong. But again, the French Republican calendar, because Black Mozart references it a lot, but doesn't give a timetable to what it actually goes with. It was... I got so mad. <laughs> I got so mad trying to find dates for things <laughs> and trying to cross-reference things. You know, it kind of, I know it's it's apples and oranges, but it kind of reminds me of uh, ancient well, people who study Rome mm -hmm. and the way that Romans kept dates. Oh my gosh! So it would be like, you know, this event happened four years after the birth of this individual. Like, that's mm -hmm. how they did dates. It wasn't you know, the 5th of August or anything like that. Yeah, and the French Republican calendar basically was around harvest. So it wasn't based on the moon, wasn't based on a solar calendar. Based on when you plant and harvest. Yeah, and the months are actually named after, was it, like... It was, it was three weeks of ten days? Yeah, it's three weeks of ten days, and they the months are a mess named after, like, what you're planting, and I just, it made me so mad. <laughs> it made me so mad, you guys. <laughs> I can believe it. I mean, you heard me screaming at the... I did. <laughs> so, with all of this said, um, this is the end of the 
coverage of Joseph Bologna, Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges. He was an unsung hero who finally, thankfully, is starting to get some recognition. I had hoped that a copy of the biopic on him was available, but it appears to be out of print mm. right now, unfortunately. Um, my hope, though, is that one day L.A. Opera will release a copy of The Anonymous Lover for PBS or something like that. So that maybe more folks can enjoy seeing it since it's his only surviving opera. And that was a really well done performance. And just what they were able to do due to COVID it is was, amazing. It was basically a romantic comedy. It was a rom-com. It's a rom-com. It's a, and it, it's so wonderful. Yeah, it's it's a 17th century French rom-com with amazing music. Yes, yes. It's it's such a happy little opera. I loved it. Yeah, I enjoyed I it. Love it. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> it was so fun. It was just, I'm nervous and want to write letters to this widow and the who's my best friend. And it was adorable. Mm -hmm. I loved it. <laughs> so anyway, that's all for Joseph Bologna. Uh, next, next episode. Originally it was next week, but then I, uh, <laughs> I had to break my rule for this year one time. Okay, but you're such a good rule follower. I'm such a good rule follower, but I had to break it for this. Because next episode, we're picking up where we left off with last year. How we were doing, um, we did stormy weather at the end of our time last year. We're going to be picking up with a two-parter about the musical that lost the coin toss in my head last year to stormy weather. We're going to first start, though, with the play that inspired Cabin in the Sky, the musical that lost the coin toss, with Green Pastures, which also is the one exemption to my not-written-by-a-black-person plays for the black theater history. And my reason for the exception is because Cabin in the Sky is based on it. We need to see it, so... Da-da-da! <laughs> that is the end of this first episode of February, first episode of Black History Month. Like I said, this is going to be a shorter episode, but thank you all for listening. Do you have anything that you would like to add, dear? Thank you for all your hard work and research and for warning me ahead of time that I will need mm -hmm. my screaming pillow. Yep, and I will let you know if you need it again later this, I think soldiers play you might i will say it has been comforting to just hold it when mm -hmm. things get very sad for for black people and then i can just kind of hold it and and mm -hmm. think about time travel and and bludgeons <laughs> yeah it, the minute that time travel exists it's gonna be bad <laughs> well I think I will not have ag It's a fantasy. I it's would never. A fantasy. I, will, I won't mess with the space-time continuum. I will just think about messing with the space-time <laughs> continuum. Then this this white guy <laughs> showed up in a panzer. <laughs> you know, the maybe the maybe the most benign thing I could do is just pop out with a spray bottle when people are being bad and go no no and just spray them like I would a cat no. You don't treat other people like this. No. Bad French person. <laughs> Invent yeah. a language that isn't ridiculous to read. <laughs> or a calendar that <sighs> <sighs> Yeah, that that was that was annoying. That was so annoying. But anyway, so thank you all so much for listening. Um again, we hope that you enjoy these episodes, that they teach you something, because these are more educational episodes than funny episodes. Well, there is some humor to be had in some of our episodes. Although we have to, otherwise it would just be me crying. Yeah, otherwise it would just be Warren crying, and you... Well... Or I, screaming. It's not crying, it'd be yeah. me whimpering and screaming. Yeah, because you, you, the witch does not allow you to cry. The curse of the witch makes all tears that I would shed transfer to you. Yes, as as we have established in episodes that children should not be listening to. In our extensive tone-deaf lore. Yes, in our extensive tone-deaf lore. Um, but anyway, thank you all so much for listening. 
This is my third time saying that because I'm terrible at outros. Well, you can reach out to Kay and I on our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. There we have links to all of our wonderful social medias, our Twitters, our Instagrams, our Facebooks, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, which is not safe for work. But, you know, as of late, it's not too bad. I mean, mm-hmm. depends. It depends on how uh, slap happy you are. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the whole entire Cast Junkie Discord community, there's a lot of great shows there and a nice community full of fun people, and you can come hang out and say hi. Yes. If you want to help out the show, please drop a review on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Five-star reviews really do help the show, helps us get up in the rankings so that more people can find out and more people can learn. And if you ask Kay to sing your review, Kay will sing the review on the show. Yes. And if you mention lots in your review, who is the uh, mostly silent co-host that you've heard throughout some of this episode with her tearing and drinking and chewing, uh, she gets a cookie. Yes, she gets herself a cookie. Um, And if you want to go above and beyond, you can support us on our Patreon, which is Tone Deaf Musical. You can also buy uh, t-shirts, sweaters, stickers, masks at (laughs) our Public, uh, which is also Tone Deaf Musical and is linked on our website, ToneDeafMusical.com. Anyway, I think that'll be it for this episode. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Tone Deaf. Deaf.